Hello, everyone, and welcome to Staffer, the show about people who work in government or politics at any level and what they take from the experience. I'm your host, Jim Papa, a partner at Global Strategy Group and a former staffer myself. Our guest this week is Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro. First elected in 1990, she represents the 3rd Congressional District of Connecticut. This year, she begins a new role as chair of the House Appropriations Committee. Born and raised in New Haven, Congresswoman DeLauro, or Rosa, as she tells everyone to call her, is the only child of parents who lived and breathed public service. We talk about that, and we also talk about the fact that she started her career as a staffer. She worked in a number of roles at the city level, eventually becoming chief of staff to New Haven Mayor Frank Logue, and she went on to be the mayor's campaign manager. When that campaign ended, she was asked by Chris Dodd to run his first campaign for Senate. In accepting the position, Rosa became the first woman in Connecticut to run a statewide office. They won, and Rosa then served as the senator's chief of staff until 1987. When she left the senator's office, Rosa ran an organization called Countdown 87, which was dedicated to ending funding to the Nicaraguan Contras, and she also became the first executive director of EMILY's List. It was after her stint there that she made her own bid for Congress. Throughout her career, Rosa has established herself as a fierce and committed progressive across a range of issues, from health care to women's rights to gun safety to food security to equal pay for equal work and more. You'll hear her talk about some of those issues, including paid leave. She has made the worries and challenges of working families her agenda. That is her North Star, and she has never flagged in her advocacy on their behalf. If you hear admiration in my voice, you've caught me. I worked for Rosa DeLauro for several years, first as her press secretary and later as the staff director for a leadership office that she held. I am an admirer of hers, but more than that, I'm also a mentee of hers. Working in Rosa's office is like being a student at a Stafford dojo. You learn a lot from someone who is better at every aspect of the job than you are. And in Rosa's case, she's also inexhaustible in her energy and in her desire for more information and what comes next. I have benefited greatly over the years from her leadership and guidance and friendship. So it is my honor to say, Rosa DeLauro, welcome to Staffer. Oh my God, I am so delighted to be with you. I'm and so proud of you and you know the, the most wonderful memories of our working together uh, for a number of years. And uh, so I'm excited to be with you, my friend. I am so happy to have you here, and I am greatly appreciative of your time uh, today. Uh, you know, as I as I mentioned in the introduction, you are now chair of the House Appropriations Committee, and. Your work um, at this moment is as important to the health and economic recovery of the country as anyone's work in Washington. And so I, I want to ex- express my appreciation to you um, deeply because it is heartfelt. Um, I like to start uh, these conversations by talking about where people started. And I know that you were raised by a mother and father who had public service in their veins. You uh, both served on the New Haven Board of Alders. Your father, Ted DeLauro, was known as the mayor of Worcester Square, which was the neighborhood he represented. And your mother, Louisa, served on the Board of Alders for 35 years, becoming its longest serving member in history. I remember hearing you talk about being a little girl and seeing constituent service happen in your family kitchen over a pot of coffee. Can you talk about what you learned uh, from your mom and dad about public service? 
Sure, thank you. I, I, I that is wonderful to to reflect uh, to reflect back. I was in most extraordinary environment in which I grew up. My family were, uh, you know, they they uh, struggled uh, working blue collar family. My mom uh, was a, uh, a garment worker, seamstress in the old sweatshops in the city of New Haven. Uh, my dad, an insurance salesman, but they devoted uh, so much of their life. Uh, uh, to public service and community, their brand of government. You know, they did not write omnibus legislation. You know, <laughs> there was no health care bill or transportation bill, but it was about making sure that government could work uh, for ordinary people uh, in their lives. So our, our, our house, our kitchen uh, table was a place where people felt that they could come anytime, uh, day or night, uh, to get advice on whether it may be social security, a job for their kids, or their, you know, kid uh, was in jail. How could you help him out or her out uh, in this uh, in, in in this context? Uh, uh, immigration issues, uh, uh, because my dad um, uh, uh, was born in Italy and uh, uh, he could help translate for people. He spoke the language, and uh, so it was uh, it, one of an environment where anyone who came and asked for help deserved your time and effort to do every single thing you could for mm. them. And that was you never said no. You just said, okay. It may be that you couldn't help working it out, but you never just stopped it at the outset and say, hey, no, look, we can't deal with that. I, I, I can remember a couple of things. Um, when the electricity went out at the senior center, uh, we had a big senior center complex um, uh, on Worcester Street in, in New Haven. Well, what my mother did was she went up and down the street to all the restaurants, to everyone to get donations of food because the seniors couldn't cook. So mm -hmm. bringing them the food that they, that they needed. Uh, Funny, not so funny, one night we got a call that there was a shooting at Columbus Mall, again on Worcester Street. So my mom dashed up from the table, grabbed her coat, and my father said, Lou, where, where are you going? She said, let me go. Let me, I've got to see what's happened. Is any, if anybody is hurt, what's going on? Without, I mean, fearless, just fearless. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and the two things, I always say this, uh, that, 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 that she taught me was that you, you never... Uh, take no for an answer, and you never give up. You you keep at it, and that's the brand of of uh, advocacy. That's the brand of politics that I grew up with. Um, well, uh, yeah, I, I just thought of this story while you were telling the story about your mother uh, running out after hearing the shooting. I remember a staff retreat where all the staff, uh, the entire you know uh, staff, is up in New Haven, and during a break, we're all standing around having a cup of coffee, and somebody looks out the window and sees a man that's hit by a car and they and they yell out oh my gosh that man was just hit by a car and so other people run over to the window and we're all looking at each other and somebody you know within a few seconds realizes that you know they need to tell you and they sort of turn and you're already out the door you're down the hallway you ran to the corner um to help that guy um it was it, hearing that story reminded me of that thank you thank yeah. you for, thank yeah. you for remembering so uh, 
you went to uh, Marymount College for right. undergrad and then got two master's degrees, one from the London School of Economics mm-hmm. and another from Columbia University. Did you always know that you wanted to be in public service and politics or was that no. something that came later? Not 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 at all. Maybe because I you know grew up with with it, you know so much of it. You know the classic story of a parent asking their offspring what do you want to do when you grow up and you may have heard me tell this story before my father said to me, "Well, what do you want to do?" I said, "I want to be a tap dancer." You know, I, I, and I did. I still, I would give all this up if I could be a tap dancer. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love it. So he said very calmly, you know, with a saying, "Okay, you know, she's young. Uh, uh, you know, well, you're probably going to need to get uh, something uh, that is more sustaining, that is, you know, more longevity and so forth." So I took up a career where you run for office every two years, and you never know what your fate is if <laughs> is going to be. But <clears throat> What is, because I, when my father first ran for office, uh, he was told, you know, Ted, run for the office. You are, you can't win it. This is a Republican ward. Uh, We usually lose by about 800 votes or more. If you could just get it down to a couple hundred, you know, you will have won. Well, my dad, uh, and he, I went with him for much of it, went door to door whether it was raining, snowing, whatever it was, to everyone's house, you know, and he would sit and he would talk to people. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and he had, and I still have his file box where he had all of the, the, uh, 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 the, the constituents, if you will. Um, and this was a single ward where you, you know, and he marked them red for Republican, blue for Democrat, and he counted votes. You know, that's where I learned how to count votes. You know, that that's what you did. And if you didn't have that information, well, God, you were lost on an election day. And the end of that story is my dad won on the machine. He lost by nine absentee ballots. Oh. Nine absentee ballots. So... Uh, that uh, uh, next time around, he won. You know, my mom did run for several years later in her own right in a different ward. But what I'm saying is, is that did I always know? No, I, 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 I did not. It was that I was in it. I was around it. Uh, uh, and it, it was not what I said. Oh, my God. You know, when I, you know, what I want to do with my career is, you know, later in life is to uh, get involved in politics and and so forth. No, it, it was not. Uh, but it all came second nature because I had watched it. Sure. Yeah. So I understand that um, your first job or perhaps one of your first jobs in politics was working for New Haven Mayor Frank Logue, uh during the Johnson administration's war on poverty. What did you do at that time? And did you like it? Well, the, the first thing, let me go, go back a, a bit of uh, uh, my first job after finishing graduate school, I could not find a job. And I don't know if I can say this here because I, it, was, it was okay that one of the things I did was I was a go-go dancer. I danced on a, on a, on a, on a piano, fully clothed, and fully tap, clothed. Tap dancing trained. Right, you know, so uh, because I couldn't get a job. Ultimately, I got a job with something called Community Progress Incorporated. 
and an, uh, an, adjunct, an adjunct of that effort. Uh, CPI, Community Project Incorporated, was the very first community action agency in the United States. The concept had been funded uh, by the Ford Foundation to connect with communities, that where there had been uh, physical redevelopment, one needed to have the kind of human development uh, portion of it, people getting their jobs, their health care, and all of, all of these efforts. And so this was the pilot before we did the Office of Economic Opportunity. And I was hired as a community organizer. And we trained people up and down the New England seaboard in how to uh, work with communities, how to empower communities, uh, and how to connect people with the services that they needed in order to have a better life uh, for, the, for themselves. So that was the background that I came uh, from uh, and then got involved. Uh, uh, as it turns out, the person who headed up what was called the Community uh, 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 Action Institute, which was that training arm that I worked for, was Frank Logue. Uh, and, uh, and he got, again, money from Ford to put this effort together. Uh, and I worked there. Uh, and then I worked hard to get him elected as mayor of the city and then went to work for him as, as, as chief of staff. So that my entire background had just been imbued uh, with uh, working uh, with uh, community action agencies, with the, the, the uh, still today, I, mean, I can remember them, t team in Derby, you know, the Greater Hartford uh, group. We worked with all of these efforts, uh, connecting people with, you know, like LIHEAP, you, you know, where could mm -hmm. they go uh, to get help uh, during the winter, you know, uh, for, uh, for heating, uh, etc. Where could they go? The one-stop shop effort that where you could go in, you could talk about your circumstances and um, uh, where you could get job training, where you could get your kids in a daycare or so forth. So that was my background in working uh, for, uh, for Mayor Logue uh, at the time. And so it linked me, which was very critical. It linked me with all of the communities uh, in, uh, in the city of New Haven, a diverse city, you know, where you have a, a, a large African-American population, a Latino population, obviously uh, the, the, uh, uh, the white ethnic population, Italians, uh, 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 Irish, Polish, German, uh, very, very distinct communities in the city, large Jewish community. You could walk in and out of those neighborhoods. And so that what was helpful to me was having the familiarity with all of those groups uh, as I made my way as the chief of staff uh, for the uh, for the mayor. So. Yeah, oh, see, that I didn't realize that. And that's really helpful and helps explain why in 1979, Chris Dodd came to you. Uh, uh, he was running for Senate. He needed a campaign manager. And he made you uh, the the first woman to run a statewide campaign in Connecticut. I've heard you talk about, you know, what campaigns were like back in the day, and I imagine governing to, uh, you know, as well. In that they there weren't a lot of women uh, in in the rooms making decisions, uh, let alone at the head of the table like you were. Can you talk about uh, that experience a little bit? Sure. 
you know, first of all, I, you know, uh, uh, Senator Dodd, uh, he took a chance. He really took a chance on me. You know, you, you think back to the people who made a difference in your life and the trajectory that you want. One of the happiest days of my life is when I went to City Hall and uh, they had a, a gathering for me. I won't go into the effort of the trials and tribulations with ultimately with the Logue administration. But when I got hired, I went and it just said, I'm going to go to work, you know, uh, uh, for uh, the next United States senator from Connecticut, you know, Chris Dodd. Uh, and, uh, and what he had heard was about, you know, my community experience, my organizing uh, experience. At, at that time, just a reflection of what we were talking about before, before that time, because I did run the, I was the campaign manager for the Logue event. I began to get involved uh, myself with local campaigns of being the manager, whether it was the mayor, state senator, state representative. Uh, and I got political experience in that regard, as in raw politics of, of, of you know, dealing with, dealing with uh, elections. Uh, and, but Chris Dodd is, is just an, just an incredible uh, uh, human being. And he, it did, take a chance uh, on, on me. And I, 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 I can remember people coming into the campaign headquarters. We were set up in, in Hartford and came through the door and, you know, I, I would see them and then it was, I'd like to see the campaign manager. And I would just say, well, you are looking at her, you know, yeah. and, you know, people would stop short. There was one, uh, I probably shouldn't talk about the town or the people, um, uh, uh, this one uh, town chairman said to me early on, he says, look, I have nothing against Jews and girls, you know? <laughs> so I knew I was in for rough sledding, you know, <laughs> with this guy. And, uh, uh, and uh, 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 the, then mem uh, 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 the then congressman, you, you know, uh, there was just this one town that really could not deal with, you know, deal with, a woman. So uh, uh, the congressman said to me, Rosa, what about, you, you know, uh, uh, this town, etc., this city? So I said, look, be very honest with you. I'll deal with the 168 towns that do want to work with me. I'll get this town to work with you. You can take on the job of managing the town. So he said to me, I get it, I get it, okay. So he calls the folks, he said, you're dealing with Rosa. You are dealing with Rosa. That's right, because look, he had the standing, he could say it, and what that did for me was that I spoke, you know, for the campaign, uh, you know, and I spoke for him. Yeah. And that's the kind of relationship, you know, that we had. You know, and there weren't, there were, it's again, the first woman. Uh, and so there were a lot of, um, you know, uh, you know, saying, oh my God, you know, so forth. But, you know, the, the, the success is the key. Yeah. We won yeah. that race, you know, right. and, uh, you know, but he gave me uh, all of the support that I needed to be able to do the job. So, so he, uh, you won the race. He yeah. asked you to be his chief of staff. That's right. So you came to Washington. Again. Right. Um, More women. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, not yeah. many women there either. Um, you know, when you walked 
you know, up to the Capitol that first day, what was on your mind? You know, um, again, I think you've heard me tell this story, Jim. I had not been in Washington, D.C., <coughs> except for my um, high school class trip. I knew nothing about Washington, D.C. And again, he took that chance. You know, people give you opportunities. And when I took on the job, I said to myself, what in the hell have I gotten myself into? And first of all, there were just, I think, maybe five or six other women. And two that stand out for me, and we'll never forget <clears throat> working with them, was um, um, Ellen Lovell, who was chief of staff to Senator Leahy. She befriended me and, you know, took me under her wing. Marsha Aronoff, who worked for Bill Bradley. And strong, tough, dynamic women. And they were my go-to people. I will also say that I, I had somebody like a Ted Kaufman, you know, on the male side, who was then chief of staff uh, to Senator Biden. Right. And Ted and I uh, uh, have stayed, stayed friends all of these years. Uh, so, but very few women. Uh, and uh, I, 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 again, having, look, I, I'm going to just tell you this. For, 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 for women, I don't know if it's like in the Senate, because I've not been in the Senate. But still, for women in the House, women need to work harder. Some of our male colleagues can get away with saying whatever they want. doesn't make any difference. But you're not given, as a woman, as many bites at the apple. So, And you know from our past work why I wanted every single thing I needed to know so that when I stand up, I know what I'm talking about. And then yeah. people take you, you know, they take you seriously and they know you know what you are. You are you you are talking about, um, uh, but those early days were nothing but fear, fear. <laughs> you know, uh, and and you're also trying to work out a relationship, you know, with you, you know the, the the senator, and yeah. so that you know you, you know building that trust factor has to happen, and you know that with the staff, that is what the key is. And what the chemistry is, you know, so and you, you know, that's what the glue that makes it work. Yeah. You know? So you'd been chief of staff to a mayor. You'd been a campaign manager. Now you're a chief of staff in the Senate. Mm -hmm. You've also had many chiefs of staff, several of which I've had the opportunity to work with. Um, what you know, and everyone does the job a little bit differently. Sure. What in your mind are some of the hallmarks of a great chief of staff? Well, look. It's almost like it, when I when when I was asked to describe the job of campaign manager, you are managing the chaos, okay? Because mm -hmm. again, campaigns are. So it is as a as, as a chief of staff, you are managing the multiple pieces that need to occur, not one at a time, but simultaneously. So that you need to have you're dealing with an administrative side, 
of the coin. You're dealing with the communication side. Uh, 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 you're you're uh, de dealing with uh, legislation and how these pieces fit together. And one of the keys is not to be afraid of building a strong staff. There are, you know, look, there were things that I, I didn't know, you know? Uh, so, you know, looking for somebody who was a legislative director for the senator, you, you know, a Mike Naylor who worked, you know, had, uh, uh, had worked for John Culver, who knew the ropes. So, and not be afraid that that somehow diminishes who you are. No, it only strengthens who you are. Eddie Silverman, who had worked for Pat Harris at HUD, you know, and, and knew, you know, the, the issues. A Leslie Finn, who was the office manager, you know, who had wide breadth of experience about the budgets and, you, you know, how to administer a staff of, you know, probably 25 or so uh, people. A Bob Dockery. I remember their names because they were instrumental. They did foreign policy. You know, I didn't know at that time what I know today uh, as a result of working for the senator about Central America and El Salvador, Nicaragua, all of those things. Bob Dockery knew that, you know, it was in his, his DNA, you know, and oftentimes I would see he would come in very early in the morning as I would. He would come by my office and I would just say, um, uh, you know, Bob, you know, Senator, we need to get press on 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 this or that or so forth. You know, he's got to get out there on press. And he would be smoking a cigarette and he would look at me. And again, I hope this is not offensive to anyone. He said to me, Rosa, you know, he can get press by pissing on the Capitol steps. Is that what you want? You know, no. So there's this substance. And then, but there are young people like a Marla Romash. Marla came in to the campaign from a run. She said, I can do this job. Give me a shot. I did. She became the press secretary. She then moved. As you know, she became one of the youngest press secretaries to a United States senator and went on from there to Al Gore, to Joe Lieberman, to Al Gore, uh, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren, etc. But to give people a chance. So you are managing the pieces and you learn. And for me, again, it was a learning curve because I had to learn the, the uh, and particularly on, on, on the legislation. And I was committed to myself to doing that, to under, understand it. But a, a good manager lets people do their job, uh, give them room to do that job. Uh, obviously, your is oversight and you're checking in and so forth. But above all, work to create a team. Don't be afraid of what you don't know. You get advice and counsel for the people who are on that staff uh, uh, and create something that when you leave, it stands. It's not about you. It's about what you create to leave behind uh, if you leave. And I felt very good uh, when I did leave in 1986 after that campaign that the senator had a sterling, strong staff in place that yeah. could get him where he needed to go. Yeah. So uh, since you mentioned it, um, 
you you ran uh, the senator's reelection campaign, also successful. But during that period of time, you started to feel unwell. Right. Uh, can you talk about sure. that experience? Sure. I, you know, look, you, you you know, I'm a person. I've got a lot of energy. I, you know, it, it, oh, you yes. know I never it doesn't. I don't have to slow down, etc. Well, for a while, I was. I felt as if I had a kind of a low-level flu uh, every, every, every day. And what I did to compensate for that, I took a lot of aspirin, you know. So, uh, uh, but I did go to get checked and try to get a sense of if there was something wrong. And I spent six months at going to, you, you know, to a, a, a clinic and so forth, and they'd all kinds of tests, you know, ruling out leukemia, lupus, or any of these these efforts. And the one last thing they did was to say, you know, just to go get yourself an ultrasound, which I did. And as I'm lying there, the ultrasound, I hear the physician saying, yes, there's the mass. And, you know, I said, whoa, you know, and, um, uh, uh, you know, there, there was a, 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 a massive tumor. Um, and they sent me up to Yale uh, again, there's serendipity in your lives. As somebody watching, I, I believe that. Uh, and by luck of the draw, uh, I had a Dr. Peter Schwartz, who was the world-renowned oncologist in um, uh, gynecological cancers. Long and the short, he said, um, what happened was the day that the senator was announcing his re-election in the state was the day I was diagnosed oh, wow. with ovarian cancer. Uh, I have a. I, I got through that day with all of the events and everything that we had to do, but when and I took the time out to go up. Stan and I went went to see Dr. Schwartz, and he said, "I'm 99% sure this is ovarian cancer. We need to do some tests." And you know, when you get that diagnosis. Um, it, it, you hear nothing else. You just you are are just trying to figure out your own mortality. You don't know, you know what's going to happen. And I, again, to this day, I don't know how I made it through that day, but I did. Uh, um, and uh, 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 but I, the very next day, I I I picked up the phone. And I said, "I got to got to see you," because the doctors told me I was going to go into the hospital on, on the weekend. Um, and um, uh, so I went, I, I drove uh, to um, uh, East Haddam and to talk with him. And uh, I told him, uh, and I said, I, I said, look, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how long uh, I will be gone. And uh, I don't even know if I'm coming back. Um, uh, so he's, a, as I say, he's a remarkable, remarkable individual. And he just said, you know, with that great, wonderful smile that he has, he said, you know, Rosa, just go get yourself well. He said, you chief of staff, that will continue, and we will not begin the campaign until you get back and you are well. And, um, uh, you know, it wasn't until not that long after that he did, uh, you know, a family medical leave and uh, for people and that people shouldn't lose their jobs. I was a staff person like you would have been, uh, Jim, with kids going to school, and how would we have made it 
if I did not have an income. And so yeah. he said, the job, your salary is there and just get well. And it was about three months or more later uh, that, um, you know, I went and I had shifted over uh, from the uh, Senate payroll to a campaign payroll to manage the 86 um, uh, election. Uh, so it's an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, time, um, you know, of, of, of both in terms of dealing with the the uh, the illness, but also the searching for, you know, who you are and what you're about and what you want to try to do. You know. Yeah. So, you know, in Congress, um, health care has been an enormous thread of your work, um, women's health care. Um, uh, coverage uh, for more people, um, the quality of that coverage. When you are on the floor and when you're in committee rooms and when you're lobbying members, does it still feel as personal? Uh, you know, no, it's it's all very very personal. Uh, uh, and and you know, uh, uh, again, uh, and, and and so much of legislation is personal. Um, um, I can remember Chris Dodd saying, particularly when he talked to seniors groups, he says, when I'm talking to you and what we do and what we put into place legislatively, he says, I see it through my parents, you know? So I went, you know, there was no epiphany. Uh, it just seemed to me that when I told him after the campaign that I was uh, that I was going to leave. It was hard, very, very hard, because, you, you know, we've become very close, and I, I knew him, etc. But I said, I've got to look to, uh, i got to find a way to try to do something that, that I'm in charge of, to give back in some way. You know, then I went to uh, heading up Countdown 87, ending Contra Aid, and then Emily's List. Um, and then the position opened, and I... You know, I said, there's, there it is. And talk about another time and so scared in my life since I'd never come out of legislation. I only came out of politics. Um, but so that, yes, uh, look, I think about paid leave. Okay. The interesting vignette, you'll appreciate this. When I went, I wanted to be on the Energy and Commerce Committee because that's where they did a lot of health. I went because of health. I went because I wanted to deal with women's health in particular. Well, God love him, uh, John Dingle, um, uh, uh, looked at me and he said, he looked down over his glasses, he says, my dear, uh, freshman members do not get on the Energy and Commerce Committee. So, <laughs> uh, I then went to transportation and oversight. So, um, But with always the view of being able to focus in on, on, on health care, particularly women's health. And I was afforded that opportunity, obviously, by getting on the Appropriations Committee and uh, Labor HHS. But... Uh, you do see it's paid family and medical leave. I was sick. I had an employer who said, don't worry about your salary. Why? I was a Senate staffer. Is that why? No. My mom gets sick three years ago at age 103, spent every day of the last six weeks of her life with her. No one said Congresswoman DeLauro, I'm sorry, we can't pay you this week. So is this only for members of Congress? No. You know, uh, 
work training for people. So much of the legislation and the health, working on health issues with people like uh, Pat Schroeder and Connie Morella uh, and so forth about, about women's health. There were no uh, 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 women were not part of the, the, the clinical trials at the National Institutes of Health. And right. with a collective group of men, of, of women, on the uh, Democrats and Republicans, uh, we forced the NIH, you, you know, to involve women and minorities. So it is all personal. You have yeah. something, not all, you know, but there is something more to it. And the issues that you care about and are are charged with our, our personal, you know, conversations with my father about what happens when a business closes down, what happens to the workers. He did so much of his, you know, he did research on what happened to, to workers. So it's, it, it's about, it's not so much the experience of the Congress, but it is, it is what your environment was and mm -hmm. where you came from and the yeah. values that you bring. Uh, to it that make that determination. You know, people get to Congress from all different walks of life, right. and and they and they bring their personal experiences. A, only a small number of them have been staffers, and mm -hmm. certainly not at the level that you were a staffer. Mm -hmm. um, do you think when you arrived that gave you an advantage? Uh, in, in many, it's got some. Good sides and some bad sides. I'll just start with the bad. Because I have been a manager, because I was, I know every aspect of <laughs> what the office does. And you know this. I can verify that. I can verify all, that. All yes. Guys, yes. You know, uh, that I, 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 and as I said, I know as, as the chief of staff that the pieces have to work together. They do, you know. And so, you know, so in, in that regard, uh, you know, I know how it fits together, and oftentimes uh, that is a bigger burden, uh, you know, uh, for the uh, for the staff. But you, you, you know, um, to answer the question, your question, and let me put it in this context. People said to me, Rosa, has this job met your expectations? And I have said at every turn that even on the darkest days, this job has exceeded all of my expectations. Why? Because while I gave advice and counsel to a United States senator, senator on what to do, the ultimate decision was his. If he decided to take your advice and follow it, fine. If he didn't, fine. Then now it's, I make that decision. Yeah. I listen, you get the advice, and you have the opportunity to make the decision. You also, the relationships that you build uh, uh, with your colleagues that allow you to move legislation that has an unbelievable impact. I mean, that's what this job is about. It's about opportunity. We give people opportunity. And for me now, no greater place than through appropriations. $1.4 trillion goes through that, 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 that committee. But it is about what we can do. And that's what its purpose is. And you're in a position singularly, uh, not singularly because you need to build the coalitions, but you get 
to really drive those pieces of legislation. Uh, and yes, you know the, the nuances, that uh, you know, and some of the people, uh, and you know the drill and all of that, but it is, uh, uh, and it's mostly what you know are the, are, are the mechanics. Though you do see the kind of commitment that, uh, and, and again, I go back to Chris Dodd, I won't ever forget his last uh, speech on the floor of the Senate, where he says, uh, and I'll paraphrase, this job is not about me and you saying to his colleagues who are in this chamber, this job is about the people outside of this chamber. Mm -hmm. And that guideposts that help you along the, along the way. You know, that, that um, developing relationships with colleagues to advance priorities that are essential uh, for the people outside the building. A lot of that happens in rooms that staffers generally don't have access to, right? Uh, the House floor, there are only a few staffers that have floor privileges, caucus meetings or leadership meetings. You know, this, it's a small subset of staff that are allowed in there. Um, I once asked Tom Cole uh, about the House floor and he said, I love this description. He said, it's like a small town where you come to learn um, who's going to ask to borrow your lawnmower and who's going to return it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, great. I love Tom. That's um, great. That's great. What, what, you know, what advice or what insights could you share with staffers about what it's like when you are in these small rooms and you are a well-known confidant? of Speaker Pelosi um, and have been a part of leadership uh, decisions for years. And as chair of the Appropriations Committee, you are at the center of of governance right now. So what should people know about what happens in those? Sure. Look, and and it's uh, and I'll get get to the floor in a in, in a second. But within, you know, within leadership meetings or small gatherings, you are hammering out um, where you're, where we're going as a, uh, as a democratic caucus, what are going to be the issues that we want to focus our time and attention on? What are the issues that we are going to message? No one knows that better than you. You know, where are we going to spend our time? How are we going to do that? What is the byplay with the various caucuses of, of, of the, of the house? What's the byplay with the Senate? How do we, uh, and even within the meeting, how do you come to a consensus and listening to people. And that's a way in which, I mean, the speaker has extraordinary um, uh, uh, staying power with listening to, to everyone and getting their views on things. But it's a place where, in fact, the, you know, and when, when they go around the table and they say, uh, what do you think? What would you do? You have to express your view. You can't say, well, on the one hand, it's this, and on the one hand, it's that. Not if you ever want to be there again. That's you right. know, you are giving advice and direction about how we should proceed uh, as, a, uh, 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 as, a, as a Congress, not just as a Democratic you know, caucus, but as the Congress uh, and as a, a, a national agenda for where we, where we want to be. And look, and not everybody in some of the other smaller meetings, you are in a persuasion campaign. How do you get other parts of the caucus to uh, link in 
And sometimes that's very difficult. Again, this is not, you know, nobody rubber stamps what you want to do. So that's where people deal with, you know, uh, you're not trading principles. You are trading or you are doing it. Look, and I think you, you, you know me in this context. I will fight on an issue until the very last moment. But, I, and, but when you're not going to get there, what is the route to compromise to getting something that needs to get done, completed and done so we can move uh, uh, forward? And that's, you've got to develop uh, those skills. Uh, uh, and it's taken me a while to develop those, you know, those, those, those kinds of skills. But the relationships and the trust that you do build with your colleagues gives you a leg up. Because mm -hmm. if somebody say, if you're talking to, okay, Rosa, well, if you think this is a good idea, we'll look at it. But it sounds like, you know, I, I can be there. That doesn't happen when you first walk in the door. No, it doesn't. And, and they also, they respect, of course, everyone wants to be heard and listened, but they also respect expertise. They, 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 they respect people who know the bills better than they do, who understand politics at a macro and a micro level. And you have, have lived a life and demonstrated all of those things in spades. And I could not be happier that you are the new chair of the House Appropriations Committee. It is so well-deserved. The country, um, you know, the, the number of people who know this fact is a tiny sliver of Americans, but all of them are benefiting from your leadership there. And I just want to express my my love and appreciation to you. We had a um, good time. For, we it's had been a, it's time. been a wonderful ride. I was so lucky to work for you. Um, and I benefited from my my whole career. But for this- you put that, that, you, you know, that there still is, they don't meet like every day the way we did. There is a message apparatus today that yes. stems from a hard fought position of getting to be assistant. They didn't want me to be assistant speaker, but assistant too. So we took it and you drove that piece, you know, along with uh, Kirsten and, um, and and Kim and uh, you, you know God you know and others you know who made that happen. So well, we were all keeping up with you. We were oh. all learning from you. And I've always loved something. You know, you you said a little bit about your parents. It, it, never say die. And I remember you said often, if you build it, they will come. You could see things that you know that didn't exist, and rally all of us to solve that problem of building it um and in a way it's also what informs legislating right there's a problem we don't yet know how to fix it we've got to make investments in new policies that that solve these problems for the american people um and i know you have so much on your plate i could talk to you all day all week um i want to be efficient with your time Thank you from the bottom of my Thank heart for, for what you do and, and for being on the show today. I love you, my friend. I really do. I've been blessed with the most remarkable staff people uh, ever who uh, guided me and together we've made the run. So love you. You take care. Thank you. And so much. I'm so proud of you. So proud. I love you back. And thank you so much. Thanks. Well, friends, the clocks just buzzed four times and the Marine Sentry has left the West Wing. 
which means this episode of Staffer is officially adjourned. I want to thank you all for listening to the only show created for and about the people who work in government and politics at any level. I do have a quick favor to ask. Please follow, subscribe, and like the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Positive reviews are everything in this business, I'm told. And make sure to sign up for episode alerts at staffershow.com and check out Staffer Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks all.